You're listening to a message provided by Antioch Bible Baptist Church in Gladstone, Missouri. We intend this to be a helpful resource to you as you grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. This is intended especially for those who are unable to attend our worship gatherings and therefore were unable to hear the teaching of God's Word. This should not replace your gathering with our church as a member. If you're checking us out for the first time and are looking for a church to visit, we hope that you enjoy this content and that it impacts you personally. Thanks for listening. We as a church family a few months ago started working through the book of Matthew. We have taken off a few Sundays as we came to Christmas and last Sunday Pastor Todd brought a great message leading us into the new year and discipling and leading ourselves and our families. And today we're going to jump back into the book of Matthew. So I wanted to remind you where we have been at and where we are going. The theme for the book of Matthew, which the book of Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. It's the first of four gospels that recount the life of Jesus. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they were all eyewitnesses of Jesus' life and they record his life for us. And so this is basically a biography of Jesus's life. And Matthew chooses to use the theme of the book of Matthew to be Jesus is King. Everybody say that with me. Jesus is King. By the end of our time together, in the book of Matthew, I want that to be seared into your mind. The theme of the book of Matthew is Jesus is King. Well, how do we know that? Well, it leads us to our key verses. And our key verses are actually found at the end of the book of Matthew in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18, 19, and 20, where Jesus says, and I want you to be listening for the three alls. He said, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. So only a king could say all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. So Matthew is saying Jesus is the king. And as he's ending his time here on earth, he is saying, I have all authority. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, he says, make disciples of all nations. Well, only a king can oversee all nations. And so he calls us to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then he says, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus says, it is our responsibility to teach all that we have been taught by him. He's pointing us to the reality that Jesus is king. So we have worked through the first four chapters of the book of Matthew. We've went through Jesus' genealogy. We've looked at Jesus' birth. We've looked at his beginning of his ministry, his baptism. We've looked in chapter four at his temptation and the start of his ministry. And then a few weeks ago, we came to Matthew chapter five. And in Matthew chapter five, we have one of first of five teachings that we find in the book of Matthew. This first teaching is one of the most significant in all of human history. It's a well-known sermon and it's referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. There's nothing special about that term. It was literally a sermon on a mount. So that's why it's called the Sermon on the Mount. It is the most famous of Jesus's messages, his teachings. And in this sermon, Jesus lays out what it looks like for us to be under his kingship. 
If we believe that Jesus is king, what does that look like in the life of a kingdom citizen? In Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, Jesus lays that out for his disciples and for all who were present. So, Pastor Bob, right before Christmas, led us through the character of a kingdom citizen. And he went through what was referred to as the Beatitudes, right? The, the poor in spirit, the meek, those who mourn, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. So he walked us through what the character of a kingdom citizen will look like. Then the following Sunday, he took us through the results of that kingdom citizen, the results of living out that character, which is persecution right? Like persecution is going to come. If you're going to live out the beatitudes, if you're going to live out the characteristics of a follower of Jesus Christ, of a follower of the King of Kings, then there's going to come persecution. But also within that, you're going to be salt and you're going to be light. Those are the results of this kingdom citizen. They're the character of the kingdom citizen. And you got to understand that as Jesus is teaching his audience and he is laying this out for him, it is mainly a Jewish audience. And so they would hear Jesus talk about these characteristics of a follower of the King of Kings, right? The follower of Jesus, these results of that. But in the back of their mind, they would have been wondering what Jesus believed about the Bible. Because as a Jewish person, they revered the Bible. The Bible was really important to them. Their Old Testament, and in our day and age, it was the Old Testament scriptures that they revered. And so there would have been in the back of their mind as they're thinking, okay, Jesus is claiming to be the Messiah. He's claiming to be the King. So I wonder what he's going to do with the Old Testament scriptures. What does he believe about the Bible? And in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20, Jesus lays out for us what he believes about the Bible. I'm going to go ahead and give you at the start the five points, or five, four points. I could add a fifth. No, four points of my message today based off the word of God. We'll go through each one of these, but if you're taking notes, you can start writing them now and then they'll pop back up as we go along. So what did Jesus believe about the Bible? Here's what we're going to find. Jesus believed the scriptures to point to him in verse 17. Jesus believed the scriptures were without error. We'll see that in verse 18. Jesus believed the scriptures are to be taught and obeyed in verse 19. And then in verse 20, Jesus believed the scripture's focus is the heart. So these four things we will see that Jesus believes about the Bible. So let's work through these together. Starting in verse 17. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. By using the term, do not think, Jesus is setting aside any potential misunderstanding about what he would believe about scripture. So he's saying, in essence, I don't want you to misunderstand what I believe about the word of God. Part of this is because right on the hills of this section, Jesus is going to make a statement that's going to say, you have heard it said, 
But I say to you. So as he's going to move into this section where he's taking the law and then he's saying, I want you to not just know the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. He's saying, before I get to that, I want there to be no misunderstanding about what I believe about the Bible. So he says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them but to fulfill them. When Jesus uses the term law and prophets, he is referring to the Old Testament. So he is using this term and they would use this term as they would talk about what we refer to as the Old Testament. They didn't say that. They would say the law and the prophets. They were referring to the Old Testament in that way. So in verse 18, Jesus is going to just use the term the law. Then in verse 19, Jesus is going to use the term commandments. All of those are synonymous with the scriptures, with the Old Testament. So this is just different ways for them to say it. The law was the first five books of the Old Testament. The prophets was the major and minor prophets as we refer to them today. But it was just a summary way to say, I'm referring to all of scripture. So Jesus said, I don't want there to be any misunderstanding about what I believe about scripture. I did not come, he said, to abolish. He uses this word twice, to abolish. The idea is to break up or to overthrow or to destroy. Jesus is saying, I didn't come to destroy the law. So I I didn't come to get rid of that and write my own thing, right? I have come instead, Jesus says, to fulfill the law. I have come to complete or accomplish the law and the prophets. I have come to complete it. You should remember, or if you're like me, you don't remember, so you got to go back and look. But in Matthew chapter 2, we already heard the term fulfill. We heard it three times in Matthew chapter 2. In Matthew chapter 2 and verse 15, Matthew chooses to use the same word that Jesus uses here. In Matthew chapter 5, when he's speaking of Jesus' early years, he says in Matthew 2, 15, and and Jesus, and they remained there until the death of Herod. This is in Egypt. This was to fulfill, that's the same word that Jesus uses, what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I've called my son. Then you jump down to verse 17. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. Again, the same word, fulfilled. What was accomplished by what was written in the Old Testament. You go to verse 23. And when, and he went and lived in the city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. So over and over again, even in Matthew chapter 2, and now Jesus is saying, I have not come to destroy the law and the prophets. I haven't come to destroy it. I've come to accomplish it. I've come to complete it. Here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I believe that the scriptures point to me. Jesus believed that the scriptures were pointing to him. Jesus is not saying that we do away with the Old Testament. Rather, he is saying, I am the point of the Old Testament. So when you read the Old Testament, you're looking for Jesus in the Old Testament because he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Paul would say it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20. For all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. All the promises of God. 
When we see the promises in scripture, Old and New Testament, they all find their yes in Jesus. See, the point is the Bible is not a book about you and me. The Bible is a book about Jesus and his story and his redemption. For some of you, this may be a change in perspective as you look at the scriptures. Maybe it's like this. I, you may not know this because I wear contacts, but I have really horrible eyesight. And my eyes, unfortunately, are different, uh, uh, different prescriptions, right? So one eye is a little bit worse than the other eye. Well, when you wear contacts, what does that mean? What that means is you have two different lenses, right? So obviously the cost goes up because you can't buy the same contact lens. You got to buy two different ones. Well, a few years ago, I went, I used to wear overnight ones and my eyes weren't doing so good with that. And so the lady's like, you need to take out my, my doctor's like, you need to take out your contacts every night. So started this process of every night taking my contacts out. Well, you know, you get those contact cases that say, are on one side, right, to sort of help you know. Well, several mornings, this happens quite often, I'll wake up in the morning and the R lid is on the left side and the clear, the other lid is on the other side. And so I come in the morning not remembering that I, which one I put in, in which thing. So I begin to think, okay, did I just mess it up when I put the lids back on? I wasn't paying attention. I was tired. So what do I have to do? I put in these two different contact lenses and I walk around the house for 30 minutes with one eye open, trying to see, is it blurry? Does it feel blurry? That kind of, and then if I get just frustrated, I just throw them out and start over again. Cause it's like, I can't figure it out. But what happens is I have blurry, I have a blurry vision until I get the right contacts in the right eyes. And some of you have come to the scriptures and you have blurry vision because you have the wrong contacts in the wrong eyes. You're looking for yourself in the scriptures and you need to get the right lenses in so that you can see Jesus clearly in the scriptures. This is why Pastor Todd has led our church and our kids ministry to use the gospel project in its curriculum. Why? Because every story points back to Jesus. As they work through the Old Testament, they're always bringing our kids back to Jesus. This is why our student director, Tim, is taking our students through the book of Leviticus. Why would you take a student ministry through the book of Leviticus of all the books to use in the Bible? Why that one? Because even in the book of Leviticus, it is pointing to Jesus. And Jesus is saying, I am the point of scripture. If you read the Bible and you're looking for you, you will be sorely disappointed. But on the other hand, if you read the Bible looking for Jesus and his plan, you will be gloriously satisfied and find a strange and yet perfect desire to know God more and his son, which will lead you to know more about yourself. So this week, as you read your Bible and you go to journal about what you read in scripture, I would encourage you to not journal about what you feel about the passage. I would encourage you to journal about where you see Jesus in the passage. Because all of scripture points to him. All of scripture is turning our eyes off of ourselves on to him. Jesus says this in John 
in Matthew chapter five and verse 17, that he is the point of scripture. He is the fulfillment, the completion, the accomplishment of it. Then verse 18, Jesus said, for truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. He says, for truly, I say to you, if you grew up in the King James Version world, it would say, verily, verily, I say to you, right? That's what I memorized it in. Verily, verily, I say to you. The idea is this is really, really important. That's what he's saying by, for, I, for, for truly, I say to you, what I'm about to say, listen up. He says, heaven and earth will not pass away. He's referring to the end of the age and not an iota or a dot will pass away from the law, that's scripture, until all is accomplished. What is all that is accomplished? All that is accomplished is the entire divine purpose prophesied in scripture. All of that for Jesus must take place. It's not gonna pass away until it is all accomplished. Jesus uses two terms here to speak to the confidence that he has in scripture. He uses this term iota. What is an iota? An iota is the smallest letter of the Hebrew alphabet. In the Hebrew, it's referred to as yod. And you can picture it in this way. It is literally an apostrophe. That's a yod. It's the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. So if you picture a little apostrophe, that's a yod in the Hebrew language. He says down to the smallest letter of the Old Testament scriptures, they'll all be fulfilled. This is how much confidence he has in the word. Then he says not a dot. What's he talking about when he says not a dot? He is referring to the smallest stroke in the Hebrew writings that would distinguish between letters. So picture it this way. If you have a capital C and you have a capital G in an English language, what separates them? That little line. If you take a capital I and a capital T, what separates them? Just a little mark. And Jesus is saying that he has such confidence in the word of God that even the smallest letter and the smallest stroke will be fulfilled in scripture. Jesus is saying that he believed that the scriptures were without error down to the very words. That the scriptures are without error. He, he says it again in the book of Luke chapter 16 in verse 17. He says, it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. The scriptures are without error. In John chapter 10 and verse 35, Jesus says, scriptures cannot be broken. What is Jesus saying? The scriptures are without error. As he is referring to the Old Testament and then in John chapter 16, he's gonna talk about other things that are gonna come and how he's gonna lead others to write scripture. So he's saying the whole of scripture is without error. And if we believe that the Bible, and we should believe that the Bible is without error because Jesus believed it is without error, then the next two verses must be true of our lives. Look at verse 19. Therefore, that's what he's saying based off of what I've said, that the Bible, the scriptures point to me, that the scriptures also are without error, 
Then he says this, therefore, because of that, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Here's what he is saying. Whoever says all the Bible is not to be taught and obeyed will be least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever teaches all the Bible and obeys it all will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. You see, Jesus came to fulfill the moral, the judicial, and the ceremonial law perfectly so that we would get his righteousness on our account. And so in return, then we could follow the things and teach others to follow the things that we have been taught. And Jesus says, if we relax on one of the least of the commandments, if we go to the Bible and say, it's all important, but, but that's not really that important, this is more important, then we'll be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But if we go to the whole Bible and we say all of it matters, all of it is to be taught, all of it is to be obeyed, then we will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Here, here's what I would say. Jesus believed the scriptures are to be taught and obeyed. That the scriptures are to be taught and obeyed. If, if we believe that they point to him as he believed, if we believe that, he, that the scriptures are without error, then we must believe as Jesus believed that all the scriptures are to be taught and obeyed. Jesus would say this in John chapter 15, or John chapter 14 and verse 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. In John chapter 15, in verse 10, he says, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. The result of believing that the Bible is about Jesus and that it's without error should be that we obey the commands of scripture. That we do what scripture calls us to do. And Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. We can't say that we love Jesus, but don't do what his word tells us to do. Jesus is going to get on this train again later in the book of Matthew and he's going to call out the Pharisees who will say they have these great laws and outwardly they're following Jesus. Outwardly they're following the commands, but their heart is far from God. They're not really being obedient. They're doing it for themselves. And Jesus says, all of my commandments are to be taught. All of my commandments are to be, be obeyed. Here's what I find interesting is Jesus doesn't just say that we're to obey his commands, we're to obey scripture. Jesus also says we're to teach scripture. Sometimes in the church, I think we have done a disservice in the church as a whole in thinking that only the quote unquote professionals can teach. And yes, one of the requirements of a pastor is to teach the word. But who is this audience that Jesus is writing, that Matthew is writing the scripture to, that Jesus is giving this sermon to? It is an audience of people that are following Jesus. And so the command to not only obey the word, but to teach the word is a command for all of us. You have been commanded not just to obey the word, but to teach the word also. 
We know this from Matthew 28. I've already quoted that to you. Go, make disciples of all, na all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son, teaching them to observe all things. Are you teaching others about what God has taught you and your obedience to him? You all in this room, every person that is a follower of Jesus Christ under the sound of my voice, you have been called to teach. The gospel, the scriptures don't stop with you. You're to teach others to do the same. Church, this is why. One of the goals that we have set as pastors over the next seven years is that we will see 3,096 people go through a book called Growing in Christ. Why did we set this up? Because as pastors, it, we will stand accountable before God that you not only obeyed the word of God, but that you taught others to do the same. And so this is a means for us to help you along in that journey, that you would take this growing in Christ curriculum that our students have gone through, many of our Antioch groups have gone through, and you would learn that and you would grow and be obedient to that, but it wouldn't stop with you. That you would identify two other people that you can take through that as well, because the gospel doesn't stop with you. It's not just to be obeyed, it's to be taught, and we're all called to do that. Every single one of us in this room is called not just to obey the scriptures, but to teach others to do the same. Who are you teaching to follow Jesus? I think Pastor Dodd did a great job last week of reminding us it starts in our home. As we begin with our own families, but it doesn't stop there. It moves outside of our families. Who are you coming alongside and teaching them the commands of Scripture, the Word of God? Jesus believed that Scriptures were to be taught and obeyed. Then verse 20 says this, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. We've heard of this, these guys named the Pharisees before. Um, scribes is new to us. A scribe were men who had trained from childhood and would be formally ordained at the age of 42 be scribes to write out the words of scripture. It was very meticulous process that they would go through. These guys were well respected in society. They wore different clothes. So when you would see them walking out in the streets, you knew who the scribes were and they were revered. If they came to your house, you would give them the best seat of the house, right? Because they, they, were, they were seen as, as, as the, the, the top, right? The best of the best, these scribes and Pharisees. So when Jesus says to his audience, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, these people that they respected, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Their minds would have been blown because they would have thought there's no way that our righteousness can exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. They've been training for this, to know the word and to obey the word. The Pharisees obey the word to the extent that they have 248 regulations and 365 prohibitions around the commands of scripture to protect them from the law. Like we'll never be able to measure up to these guys. 
So what is Jesus saying when he's saying to them in the context of the word of God and scripture? What is he saying by this? Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, jump with me in your Bibles a little bit later to Matthew chapter 23. Jesus has some choice words for the scribes and Pharisees. And so I, I want you to see the heart of what Jesus is saying here. When he's saying to them, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll not enter the kingdom of heaven. What he's trying to get across. If, if you go to Matthew chapter 23, verses 25 through 28, listen to his speaking to these scribes and Pharisees. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the outside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you, are all, so you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within... You are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. What is Jesus saying? He's saying you have this outward presence of righteousness, but inward you are far from God. So what he's pointing us to in this verse is that all of scripture is about the heart. So he's not just looking for us to follow the letter of the law. He's also looking for us to follow the spirit of the law. And that's going to lead us into the rest of Matthew chapter 5, where he's going to say, you have heard it said, don't murder your brother, right? But I say to you, if you have anger in your heart, what he's saying, this is the letter of the law. And scribes and Pharisees would say they followed the letter of the law, but their heart was far from God. And so scripture... Jesus believed was all about the heart. They were missing the point of the law by their legalism. So how do we exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees if Jesus is after the heart? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 is good news for us today. For our sake, he, God, made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, why? So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. So how do we exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees? Through Jesus. Because he became sin, who knew no sin, so that the righteousness of God might be credited to our account. So when God looks at us and he looks at our heart, he doesn't see our righteousness and goodness. He sees the righteousness of Jesus. And Jesus believed that the scripture's focus was the heart. So when I understand the good news of the gospel that I could never measure up, then it changes my perspective on the word of God that I don't have to do this. I get to do this. Because if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And when he has our heart, then it's just the natural outworking of having our heart that I want to do the things that are pleasing to him. So what did Jesus believe about the Bible? Jesus believed that the scriptures point to him. He believed that the scriptures were without error. He believed that the scriptures are to be taught and obeyed 
And ultimately, Jesus believed the scripture's focus is the heart. Here's the main idea that I want you to just remember, if you can't remember all four of those points, remember this, Jesus had a high view of scripture which affected the way that he lived his life. And we as followers of Jesus should have a high view of scripture that affects the way that we live our lives. The question we ask at Antioch is not, what does Steve say? What does Bob say? What does Todd say? What does Clint say? The question we ask at Antioch is, what does the Bible say? If the Bible says it, we believe it, we obey it, and we teach others to do the same. Because if Jesus believed that the Bible is, the point of the Bible is him, that the scriptures are without error, that they're to be taught and obeyed and that the focus of the scripture is the heart, that should be our heart as well and what we believe about the Bible. If the author of scripture submitted himself to the scriptures he wrote, should we not do the same? Father, thank you for giving us Jesus perspective on the word of God. And I pray that you would help us to be a people who as we read our Bibles, we look for you. As we read our Bibles, we believe that they are without error. That we would be a people who believe that the Bible is not just something to hear. It's not just something to read. It is something to obey and to teach others to do the same. And then I pray, Lord, that as we read your word, that we would remember that you taught us that the point of the scriptures is our heart. As they would come to Jesus and they would say, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus would say, to love the Lord your God with all your heart. I pray, Lord, that we would be a people that because of the grace that we have been shown through your son, that we would be a people who love you with all of our heart, soul, and mind and strength. And that would come through in our obedience to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. You're always welcome at Antioch. If you desire more information, please go to AntiochBBC.org. That's AntiochBBC.org. God's best to you.